Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to another episode of The Blackout. This is Thomas Black here with you, taking you through the biggest games and the best teams in all of college football here on The Blackout, brought to you by Super Team Media. In this week's episode, I'll be taking you back through the biggest moments of Week 2 and looking ahead to Week 3. Fortunately, next segment, I'm happy to bring you Dan Hope of 11warriors.com as he'll help me preview number 4 Ohio State, taking on number 15 TCU at AT&T Stadium this coming weekend at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I personally was more excited about Week 2 than I was Week 1 in college football as I felt like there were more competitive games at the top of college football with the top-ranked teams. As I mentioned last week, the games I was focused on primarily was Georgia at South Carolina and Clemson at Texas A&M. I was interested to see how these two teams went on the road to face their first big competition of the season. Obviously, both came away with wins, Clemson in close fashion, Georgia in blowout fashion. First, I'll start with a game that I thought I learned more from, and that's Clemson's win at Texas A&M 28-26 Saturday night. As I told you on last week's episode, the first thing I was looking at was Clemson's quarterback position. Clemson opened this game with Kelly Bryant as the starting quarterback, but Dabo Sweeney had vocalized that he would play both Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence throughout the entire game. My focus was on how each of these players impacted Clemson's offense throughout the entire game. Obviously, there were bright spots with both. Kelly Bryant and his experience, his ability to run, impacted the game in different ways than Trevor Lawrence does. Lawrence likewise came into the game and showed what kind of impact his arm can have on Clemson's offense, getting the ball deep down the field accurately to Clemson's big, tall, long, wide receivers that can impact a game in a big way. But in the end, you could see that Clemson still has full confidence in Kelly Bryant the seasoned veteran, running this offense in a tight game over Trevor Lawrence at this point. As the game got tighter and tighter in the second half, it was Kelly Bryant who took the snaps going into the fourth quarter, leaving Trevor Lawrence waiting on the bench. Moving forward, though, Clemson has said again that they will continue to play both of these quarterbacks going into future games into the season. That starts this coming week, week three, when Clemson takes on Georgia Southern. This is a position battle that just simply must be continued to be watched as the season goes on. It doesn't matter to me that Kelly Bryant right now has the edge as far as the faith that the coaches have in him late in games and tight games. That is a point that should be paid attention to 
but it simply cannot be ignored what Trevor Lawrence can do with the ball in his hands. And if you saw the game, you know what I'm referring to. Go back into the first half. Trevor Lawrence comes into the game. He throws the ball deep down the field to T. Higgins. It's plays like this that will keep Trevor Lawrence as an impact player on this offense all season long. Despite Kelly Bryant having more trust in the eyes of the coaches right now for Clemson, there's no doubt that this is going to be a competition for the prolonged foreseeable future. Trevor Lawrence is supremely talented, and it's just a matter of him getting more and more reps for which he will become more and more comfortable in this Clemson offense. The second big takeaway I had from this Clemson-Texas A&M game is that the Aggies have a real team. My expectation was that Clemson was going to come into this game and win by about three scores. However, Texas A&M was competitive from the moment the game kicked off. And not only were they just competitive, they flat out beat Clemson in some areas of the game. The Tigers took care of priority number one in my mind, and that was slowing down Travion Williams. Williams was coming off a performance in which he ran for 240 yards in week one, the second most yards in a single game in Texas A&M history. Yet in this game, Clemson held Williams to 31 yards on 17 carries. If you had told me this would be the case heading into the weekend, it would have reinforced my idea even more that Clemson would have won this game comfortably. But this is where Kellen Mond enters into the conversation. Mond was near unstoppable. And if you remember back to my conversation with Don Munson, the voice of the Clemson Tigers last week, You remember that I said I simply didn't know if Kellen Mond had the ability, though I had seen improvement in his passing, the ability to be able to beat the Clemson Tigers' defense. But he beat Clemson's defense time and time again on Saturday night. Mond ended the game throwing for a career-high 430 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Mond and his top target, Kendrick Rogers, dominated the Clemson defense all night long. Kellen Mond. Rodgers finished the game with seven receptions for 120 yards and two touchdowns. Rodgers is only a sophomore, and if you go back to the last season in his freshman year, he ended up with more receiving yards on the, in the single game against Clemson, 120, than he had his entire freshman season, just 99. And it's the growth of this team offensively as to why I believe you need to pay attention to the Texas A&M Aggies for the rest of the season. I'm not telling you that they're a contender for the college football playoff, but I would not be surprised in the least if they cause some trouble for a lot of playoff contenders the rest of the way. Just look at the games remaining on Texas A&M's schedule and tell me they won't be a factor in who fits into the college football playoff. No, they won't be the ones getting there. Their schedule is simply too difficult for that with already having a loss. But I fully believe after seeing this Texas A&M team versus Clemson, that this team has the ability, the talent at many different positions, to be able to challenge some of the other teams in the SEC West and put them in a position that is very difficult for them to make the college football playoff. In two weeks, on September 22nd, Texas A&M has to go to number one Alabama. Circle that game. Make sure you're watching it because that is going to be one that has a big impact on how teams fit into the rest of the season. Then later in the year in back-to-back weeks, Texas A&M has to play at number 16 Mississippi State and at number 7, Auburn. Finally, they close out the regular season with a home game against number 12, LSU. 
And I'm telling you right now, this Texas A&M team has the ability at many different positions to be able to contend in each one of those games. The second game I want to look at from this past weekend is the Georgia-South Carolina game. Georgia went into Columbia and won 41-17 over the Gamecocks in what was a blowout. But I agree a lot with what Mike Griffith of DogNation.com said on last week's podcast when he said that he thought this game was going to end up being a lot closer than the score indicated. I don't think there was a doubt about that on the field. But the early interception, the pick six, even though it was dropped on the goal line and picked up and run into the end zone, I'm counting it as a pick six. I think that kind of set the tone for Georgia being able to get this one out of hand against South Carolina. But I believe that the game was fairly competitive on both sides. When Jake Fromm has the ability to hand the ball off to guys like DeAndre Swift, Elijah Holyfield, Brian Harrion, James Cook, it is going to be nightmares for teams defensively trying to stop those guys. With Jake Fromm and his ability to get the ball down the field off the play-action passing game, with the speed they have at receiver with Miko Hardman, Riley Ridley, Terry Godwin. This Georgia team is going to be very difficult to defend. It's very easy to see why their consistency coming off of last season is proving very difficult to beat already in the early going of 2018. One comparison I do have for Georgia and Clemson right now is I don't believe either one of these teams are going to be tested very much throughout the regular season. Just look at what the Bulldogs have remaining on their schedule. In the coming weeks, they play Middle Tennessee at Missouri, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. They'll breeze through those games to be 6-0 before they play at LSU. I think the Tigers are the first team remaining on their schedule with any semblance of a defense that will have a competitive chance of slowing down Georgia. But at the same time, I don't think LSU's offense right now is near as good as what it should be to be able to contend with Georgia throughout an entire game. And that leaves games against Florida and at Kentucky before Georgia, I believe, is really, truly tested, maybe for the only time remaining during the regular season in a home game against Auburn. It's that game that I'll be circling to see what Georgia does in the regular season and to see if there's a team that can knock them off before they reach the SEC championship game. Now I want to turn my attention to some of the best tweets that were sent my way after the college football games this weekend. GTR, a South Carolina fan, said, Georgia is really good. Crush South Carolina. Clemson is really good, but A&M got hosed, talking about the ball that got punched out of the end zone and uh, was ruled a touchback. But I'm in agreement with GTR. That ball was actually out before the pylon and should have been Texas A&M's ball late in the game and would have given them a chance to score before they finally did score a touchdown, having a chance to tie the game and send it into overtime. Continuing on with GTR's tweet, he says, Alabama and Georgia should be one and two. Alabama and Georgia won't be one and two. Talking about the polls that were released, and he's right. Georgia and Alabama were not one and two. Clemson remained number one, number two in the college football poll by the AP. And at this point in time, if you're evaluating Clemson and Georgia for that number two spot, I think there's a solid argument for who should be number two. Uh, at this point, Clemson's gotten the benefit of the doubt. Honestly, Clemson has gotten the benefit of the doubt in the rankings uh, going back much over the last several seasons in college football. I went into the second week of the season telling you that Clemson was going to come away with a fairly easy win over Texas A&M. That didn't happen. I thought Georgia's game was going to be pretty close to South Carolina. That didn't happen. It was flip-flopped. And when you go back to the end of last season and what happened in the college football playoff, I think you can make a sound argument that Clemson was the fourth-best team in the playoff. They got handled by Alabama, no doubt about it. And then when you look at Georgia and Oklahoma, the shootout they had, I think they both played great in the college football playoff. And then Georgia ultimately went on and nearly beat Alabama. 
So coming into this season, uh, if you wanted to say that Georgia deserved to be number two ahead of Clemson, I think there was a decent argument for it. But after this past weekend, I think that argument might be getting even stronger. Another tweet that was sent my direction after the game Saturday night came from Gator Neal Jr. He says, if Scarlett gets seven touches a game going forward, Florida is going one and 11. And I can't disagree with you, Gator Neal. There are certainly some problems with the Florida Gators and what goes on with their running backs if the best one is only getting seven touches and a loss to Kentucky. That loss to Kentucky, of course, snapping the 31-game losing streak the Wildcats had to the Gators. But to Gator Neal's point, there are a lot of issues going on, I believe, in Florida. Dan Mullen is in his first season with the Gators, and I believe he's going to do a fine job with Florida, but it is going to take some time. Despite that, there were some concerns with Florida and what they did offensively. Felipe Franks right now just is not the type of passer you need to have at quarterback to be able to rely on the way that the Florida Gators did throughout the Kentucky game. He ended the game completing below 50% of his passes, going just 17 of 38 for 232 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. If you're going to rely on Franks to throw the ball 38 times in a game, he better be completing a heck of a lot more than 50% of his passes. And going beyond that, to Gator Neal's point, you have to look at what happened with the running backs. Jordan Scarlett ran the ball only seven times for 25 yards. LaMichael Pirine ran the ball 34 yards but only had four touches. Malik Davis had 15 yards on four touches. Who was the leading rusher for the Florida Gators? It actually turned out to be Felipe Franks. Now, the guy can move with his legs a little bit better than I think most people would anticipate, but that does not mean that he's a running quarterback. Franks ended the night running the ball 44 yards on 11 carries. But when he runs the ball more than any of the running backs do, I agree with Gator Neal and say there are some things that need to change with Florida's offense going forward if they are to have some success. At the same time, though, you have to admit that the Kentucky Wildcats dominated Florida on the lines of scrimmage all night long. Had they given the backs more carries, I don't know that this game would have turned out any differently. Gator Neal, all I can say at this point is give Dan Mullen some time because he will get this thing turned in the right direction for the Florida Gators. I feel confident in that. But this season is probably going to be a very challenging one again for the Florida Gators, even in the SEC East. Here's a big thank you to each of you who got to me on Twitter after the games on Saturday night. And I look forward to bringing you the best tweets that are sent to me each and every week on the show. All you have to do is remember at TB on the blackout. You can find me there on Periscope, Twitter, and at gmail.com. Through each of those, I look forward to interacting with you throughout the entire college football season here on the blackout. For now, I'm headed to break. When I come back, I welcome Dan Hope from 11warriors.com to the show. He will be here with me to talk about number four Ohio State and Dwayne Haskins as they take their trip to Texas to take on number 15 TCU this Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. This is Thomas Black on the Blackout. And welcome back to the Blackout. Right now, this is Thomas Black here with you again on the show. And now joining the show is Dan Hope of 11warriors.com as he gets ready to cover Ohio State TCU this weekend. Dan, how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, Dan, this is one of the biggest games of the entire weekend coming up for college football. Looking at Ohio State and what they have going down to Texas, they have a another game where Urban Meyer is going to be missing from the sideline, but obviously he's been with this team now 
practicing for a couple of weeks. Uh, what do you anticipate that the mentality of this team is right now as they get ready to have their head coach back after this week and uh, what they've been facing as they go on the road without him? I think this is a really confident team right now. I think with the way these first two games went, uh, I think they're feeling really good about what they're able to do this year. Uh, just talking to players the past couple of days, I mean, multiple, multiple of them mentioned that, you know, this is one more step towards trying to achieve their ultimate goal of winning a national championship. So I think that's what this team believes it's capable of right now. They, they believe they have one of the best teams in the country and that they can contend for a title this year. And so I think they're going into this TCU game uh, really uh, wanting to make a statement and wanting to prove that they're one of the best teams in the country. They certainly have looked like one of the better offensive teams in the country, and one of the guys leading the way is Dwayne Haskins. He's talked about how this game has more hype around it than the first two. Uh, what have you seen from Dwayne Haskins, and what, what kind of a difference has he made for this team in the passing game over what we've maybe seen from the last couple of seasons for Ohio State? Well, I think Dwayne's done about as well as anyone possibly expected uh, I mean the way he's played in these first two games has completed almost 80 percent of his passes has I mean, last game he was 20 of 23 uh, threw for four touchdowns threw for five touchdowns in the season opener uh, and he, he's just been fantastic uh, as a passer and I, and I think he brings a different level of downfield passing ability to this offense he, he's not the runner that, that JT Barrett was you know JT Barrett had a great veteran presence and was really respected by his teammates and coaches as a leader but I think Haskins brings an extra level of ability to pass the ball down the field ability to hit those deep balls that JT Barrett couldn't hit or maybe didn't uh, wasn't as inclined to try to hit uh, I think that's what Haskins brings to this offense and, and I think everybody's really uh, confident in him right now they're rallying around him and He's making plays in the passing game, and by virtue, that's opening up lanes for J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber to get more space in the running game. Absolutely. Now, I've only seen highlights of Haskins to this point. Everything I've seen has looked very impressive. Uh, have, can you compare him to anybody that you've seen, or can you tell me a little bit about what your expectation is for his ceiling going forward? I know he's very early in his career, but what can what type of quarterback can Haskins be ultimately? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to do comparisons after a guy's only played a few games. But, you know, you talk about ceiling. I mean, I think you're talking about a guy who has the potential to be a very high pick in one of the next few NFL drafts. I, th I think that's the kind of potential that he has because yeah. he's got that prototype arm. You know, he's got good size. He's not a runner, but he is still a good athlete for his size. He, he has all those traits that you look for it, to be that elite quarterback. And, and I think now it's just a matter of can he continue to consistently do what he's done the past couple games when he's facing tougher competition. Now you talk about that tougher competition, and he's certainly going to see it for the first time. He's going against a team that has a reputation for the defensive side of the ball. When he faces Gary Patterson's defense, what do you think the response is for this Ohio State offense and how they get Dwayne Haskins into this game? Do they maybe temper – uh, you know, his plays just a little bit and slow him down and try to get that running game going? Well, you, well, I think that the big thing in this game that I expect to see that we didn't see from Oregon State and Rutgers is that I think TCU is going to be a lot more capable of putting pressure on Dwayne Haskins. So I think we're going to have to see how he can respond uh, to having a messy pocket. And we did see some of that when he came in in the second half of last year's game against Michigan. So he's shown that he's capable of doing it. But I do think in order to respond to that pressure, 
you really do want to get the ball in the hands of your running back, get those running running game going uh, in order to offset that pressure and in order to take some of the pressure off of Haskins. So I, I do think in a game like this, it's really important for J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber, and that offensive line in front of them to be able to get the running game going, which in turn will open things up for Dwayne Haskins in the passing game. With Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins, what do you see from them? I mean, they are quite a duo and a challenge for defenses to face. Uh, what kind of challenge do they present to this TCU defense? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is you, you can rotate them all game long. You can keep them both correct, and, and they both have the ability to go off and have a 150-yard game at any time. So it, it makes it really tough uh, for any defense because if you can alternate those guys throughout the game and that offensive line is getting pushed up front, you can really wear down a, a running defense. So they're both great backs. You know, they both have their different strengths, but I think we're at a point now where it's not really that one of them is specifically better than the other. It's that they're both really good and any one of them can have the hot hand on either day. And if even just one of them can really get going against the TCU defense, that's going to be a huge boon for the Ohio State offense. Now let's look at the TCU offense. It hasn't been quite as hot as what Ohio State has seen in the early going, but they're starting a new quarterback of their own in Sean Robinson. What have you seen from Robinson? He's a great athlete, but what kind of effect is he going to have on this game? And is it really is the key for this game for Ohio State's defense just to corral him? Yeah, and I think the thing that stands out is just, uh, his ability to run the ball, his ability to make plays with his feet. And you look at Oregon State and Rutgers, the first two teams Ohio State faced, neither of them had a running quarterback. So this is going to be a new challenge for this Ohio State defense this year. It's going to force them to really be disciplined uh, because Robinson has shown that when he breaks out in, into the open field, uh, he's a threat to make a big play. So, so that's what stands out to me. Uh, I think this is certainly going to be the toughest test that Ohio State defense has faced this year. I think their defensive line is going to have an advantage over TCU's offensive line, and I think that's really where they can win the game up front. But it's definitely going to be important for the linebackers in the secondary uh, to be disciplined to do their jobs because Robinson has that ability to take off and make a big play with his feet, and he's also got a big arm that if he fell out toward the running game, he could make a big play, you leave a guy open, and he, he can throw for a long touchdown. Yeah, one of the other things that I want to touch base with you on is looking at the Big Ten East. Uh, certainly very high expectations for this division as the season kicked off a few weeks ago. Uh, but now as we look at it, maybe some uh, disappointments in the early going for Michigan with a loss to Notre Dame, with Michigan State losing to Arizona State. Uh, can you tell me exactly what have you seen from the Big Ten East, and is there a big drop-off from the early season expectations in your mind from what you're seeing? Yeah, I think the other three uh, teams that were expected to be contenders, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, to me, they've all been a little bit underwhelming at this point. I, I thought Michigan would play a lot better against Notre Dame. I certainly didn't think Michigan State would lose to Arizona State. And then Penn State almost lost their season opener to Appalachian State. So I've been underwhelmed with all three of those teams. It's still early in the year. Uh, none of them have played a Big Ten game yet. So everything's still wide open. Any of those teams could still win the Big Ten East. But with all the hype going into the year, I don't think any of those teams have lived up to it yet. I think they're all going to have to play better than they've played so far in order to seriously challenge Ohio State for the division this year. Yeah, with that, is, is Ohio State clear-cut front-runner for the Big Ten East and, and uh, making their way to the Big Ten championship game? 
I'd say so right now, but I think we'll have a better idea after Saturday. If, sure. If, if they go out and play really well against TCU on Saturday, then I think there's going to be no question that, you know, they're, they're going to be one of the best teams in the country and they're going to be a favorite to win uh, this division. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves based off what we've seen off Oregon State and Rutgers. So I definitely think they're a favorite at this point, but we're going to have a better idea after Saturday. Are you ready to give an official pick for your uh, what you'll be seeing against with Ohio State and TCU? Yeah, I, I have Ohio State winning 42 to 24 in my score prediction. Uh, I, I think TCU is going to be a lot more competitive than Oregon State and Rutgers were against Ohio State. But I do think the way this offense is clicking right now, and then I, I think the defensive line is really going to be able to control that matchup against the offensive line. Uh, I think with those two factors, I think Ohio State is still going to be able to win this game by at least a couple scores. Now, as uh, I've been following you on Twitter and looking at everything there, I've seen an awful lot of your work on 11warriors.com. Tell people what you can find there. I've seen a lot of things like play charts uh, going up for every single player on the team, how many times they get on the field. Uh, What can people be looking forward to on 11warriors.com as you go through this weekend against TCU and then headed into next week as well? Yeah, we really try to cover all things Ohio State sports particularly football, uh, from all angles. So uh, I, I don't think there's really any site that does, has as much coverage or as complete of coverage of Ohio State football as 11 Warriors does. So you know, if, if you're uh, ready for this game on Saturday and want to read about you know, what could happen on Saturday and want to read about what happened after the game on Saturday, uh, we're going to have it all covered at 11warriors.com and uh, on Twitter as well, uh, at Dan underscore Hope. That's perfect, Dan Hope. I really appreciate the time. And with Ohio State, man, I'm certainly expecting them to come away with a win in this one as well. And that sets up for some exciting matchups later in the season, specifically a couple weeks from now when they head to Penn State. So if you're willing to, I'd love to reach out back to you for another interview at some point, and we'll touch base as the season goes on. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Again, he is Dan Hope of 11warriors.com. A big thank you out to Dan and taking some time to join the blackout to discuss the game coming up this weekend between Ohio State and TCU. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch Dwayne Haskins and company go down to play a tough defense against the Horned Frogs, but I'm with Dan. I really believe that Ohio State's going to come away with a fairly easy win in this game. I think they've just got too much firepower offensively for the Horned Frogs, and I think they come away with a 38-20 win over TCU. Of course, you can watch that one on ABC at 8 o'clock Eastern time Saturday night. The other game that I'll be watching this weekend that I believe factors into the early race for the college football playoff will be number 12 LSU at number 7 Auburn. This one will be played in the 3.30 Eastern time slot on CBS. When you boil this one down, you're looking at two good defensive programs, but I believe the difference will be played out on the offensive side of the ball for what Gus Malzahn has with Auburn. Jarrett Sidham's leadership and the weapons he has around him, I believe, will just be too much for the LSU Tigers. I know that everybody was getting all excited about LSU when they knocked off Miami in the opener, but let's face it, their offense just has not been very good. I know Joe Burrow got a bunch of praise for his performance in the first game, but frankly, he just hasn't been that good. He looks like all the other LSU quarterbacks that have come through recently. He's completed less than 50% of his passes for under 300 yards through their first two games. And that equates out to an LSU offense that ranks 112th nationally in offense in yards per game and 115th nationally in passing yards per game. And their running game simply isn't good enough to be able to contend with that Auburn defense to sustain them throughout an entire football game. I think that Auburn's better on both sides of the ball, but I do think you see a lower-scoring football game. Auburn coming out on top 24-10. 
Other games of note this weekend include games that have been postponed because of Hurricane Florence. Number 18, UCF at UNC has been postponed. ECU at number 13, Virginia Tech has been postponed. And number 14, West Virginia at NC State has also been postponed. At the top of college football, there's not an awful lot of interesting games going on this weekend as the top teams should breeze through this weekend fairly easily. Georgia hosts Middle Tennessee at noon. Clemson hosts Georgia Southern at noon. Both of those teams are 33-point favorites heading into this weekend. Number 11, Penn State hosts Kent State. The Nittany Lions are a 35-point favorite. Number 8, Notre Dame is only a 13.5-point favorite over Vanderbilt. A little bit of a surprise there. But I don't look at any of these teams as having trouble this weekend. A couple of games to pay a little bit closer attention to will be number 5, Oklahoma, traveling to Iowa State at noon Eastern time on ABC. Remember, the Cyclones knocked off Oklahoma last season. But Oklahoma comes into this game as a 17.5-point favorite. I think the Sooners do get the job done on the road, but I think it could be a close game for at least a half. Number 6, Wisconsin hosts BYU at 3.30 Eastern time on ABC. And Wisconsin is a team that's gotten off to some slower starts this season, so I wouldn't be surprised if BYU hangs around with them. But again, watch for Wisconsin to win the game fairly easily in the end. Then you're talking about number 1, Alabama, traveling to play Ole Miss at 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN. Everybody's made a big deal about this Ole Miss offense and what they have at wide receiver. They're very talented. They're explosive. They make big plays. Jordan Te'amu has been terrific, throwing for 784 yards, seven touchdowns, and no interceptions through two weeks. But Ole Miss doesn't have a defense. They're not going to be able to keep up with the Crimson Tide. Alabama's defense will be able to slow down Ole Miss at different times throughout the game, and I don't see any way that Ole Miss is going to slow down Alabama. I think that Alabama covers a 21-and-a-half point spread going into that one. And last but not least, you see number 10, Washington, traveling on the road to play at Utah. And if you remember back to a couple of weeks ago when I had the voice of the Huskies, Tony Castricone, on the show, he mentioned that Utah is one of the teams that has really played Washington difficult throughout the last couple of seasons of college football. Washington's only a five-point favorite in this game, and I would not be stunned if Utah finds a way to pull off the upset. Those are the top games to be watching out for this weekend in college football. And if you're looking to what I'll be watching heading into week four, pay attention to Texas A&M heading on the road to play number one Alabama next week, 3.30 Eastern time on CBS. That's all the time I have for now. You've been listening to Thomas Black on the Blackout. I'd love for you to subscribe to the show and rate it. And I'll be sure to touch base with you again next week as we look to dig deeper into the college football season. And once again, thank you to Dan Hope of 11warriors.com for stopping by on the blackout today to discuss number four, Ohio State, against number 15, TCU, this weekend. 